Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Uh, Nick Polak's not here because we are doing a basketball podcast, which means we went out and we got the usual basketball crew. First up, Chad Markulix. Chad, what's happening? William, how are you? I'm holding up. How you doing, pal? Pretty good. Ready to talk some hoops. Let's talk some hoops. Uh, and to do that, we also got Dan Smith here. Dan, what's happening? I have not thought about college basketball in six months. Well, so let's uh, yeah. let's hope that I, I still remember how the game is played. Uh, well, what better time to start remembering college hoops than right now is what I would have to say to that. So to make sure that we stay on track tonight and we have an actual productive conversation and don't just crack jokes the entire time, which seeing as how we have been on this call for 19 minutes and we are just now recording the podcast, it's very important we do that. And that's by going out and getting Eric Gibson. Eric, what's happening, pal? Fellas, what's happening? Hoop season is back. Hoops, hoop season. And I actually give a shit about that. So, <laughs> yeah, Penn State hoops, uh, for first the, curse two minutes in. All right. Uh, you guys spend so much time before the show lambasting me for for <laughs> w- wanting to swear, and then it, immediately the one quote unquote serious member of this <laughs> derails it. It's completely ruined it. Yeah. Uh, well. If you are listening to this podcast, uh, thank you, and we we ask that you please forgive uh, Eric. He's just excited because for the first time in a while, there's like actual legitimate, uh, I-, I will say optimism that this season could be something special for Penn State Hoops. I mean, last year, the Nittany Lions, 15 and 18 on the season, lost in the second round of the Big Ten Tournament to Michigan State, had a 6-12 and 12 mark in conference play. Coming into this year, uh you know, it's a projection. You shouldn't put too terribly much into this. But Ken Palm has them as the number 40 team in the country, projected to go 21-9 and 10-8. and eight. I would be very happy if that happened. And, yeah, with the season starting in about a week and a half or so, first game on Friday, November 10th, against Mighty Campbell at the Bryce Jordan Center, we thought this was as good of a time as any to get in and talk hoops. And I'm going to just throw out uh, the topics and kind of let Eric, kind of lead the discussion a little bit, and yeah, let let him cook uh, more or less on this edition of the pod. So, Eric, let's start uh, by talking about the roster changes that happened for Penn State between last season and this year. I mean, Penn State returns its core, which I think we all agree is unquestionably the biggest thing. I mean, Penn State's going to go out there with the starting five of Tony Carl, Mar Stevens, Josh Reeves, Mike Watkins, and Jeff Garner. That starting five can go head-to-head with just about anyone in the conference. Beyond that, it brings back a bunch of pieces from last year. There are a few new freshmen that may not have uh, as much hype as last year's group, but just looking at this roster coming into the season, what are your general thoughts on how it changed in the offseason? And, you know, what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses, that sort of thing? Yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. How, um, if you remember last season, one of the big narratives was how young that team was because they didn't have a single scholarship senior on the roster. So there was kind of the expectation that this team was going to stay together for two years, no matter what. So this is the second year of that uh, progression. But um, you know, after the season, they saw a couple of their upperclassmen go uh, utilize the graduate transfer exception rule, so they could. Uh, switch schools for their last seasons of eligibility and um, find a new place to play. Um, and I think that was kind of symbolic of 
kind of some of the struggles that last year's team kind of went through. Um, you know, the, the chemistry on last year's team was uh, it, it was not what you would want. It was not the right mix um, in the sense that you had these talented freshmen come in um, who were clearly um, capable players, had talents that a lot of the current personnel on the team did not possess. Um, so Chambers kind of right away immediately gave the keys to the freshmen. I don't think anyone thought that was the bad decision. But at the same time, there's also plenty of guys who put in their time um, for a program that's very unappreciated. Um, so these guys spent three, four years trying to build it up, and they kind of got uh, supplanted by these freshmen. Um, and it didn't seem like the the, the impression that I got um, – from the program is none of those transfers were really ex, um, unexpected, I should say. Um, they seem to be mutual decisions on both the players and the coaches' uh, behalf. Um, so they lost Peyton Banks, who's the biggest loss, if, at least in terms of numbers. He um, played a lot at the three spot, played about 20 minutes a game. Um, they lost Terrence Samuel, who kind of came and went. Uh, the, the UConn transfer sat out a year, only played one season last year, and then he is off. Both of those guys are going to South Florida. And then Isaiah Washington also left. Um, and he's now at uh, – I can never say this. Knipiak? Is that how you say it? Quinnipiac. Quinnick, yeah. Um, he's, he's playing <laughs> with uh, – Kevin Quinnick. <laughs> yeah, he's playing, <laughs> playing with Baker Dunleavy there. So um, so they had some late scholarships open. Now, if you remember 2000 recruiting cycle, 2017 recruiting cycle, they did not really put in a whole lot of effort – because um, they didn't have any scholarships available. So um, here they were in March, had three scholarships open up, um, and they didn't finish the year strong. They had that five-game losing streak in February that kind of um, kind of put a sour taste on the end of that of last season, considering they had a chance at the NIT. Um, so they didn't really, and you know, there wasn't really a whole lot of uh, hot prospects out there that they could uh, find. I mean, they had Trent Buttrick during the uh, that they picked up in February of last year, but. Um, so they went out and they got two guys in the spring period. Uh, they got this guy, Jamari Wheeler, who we'll talk about uh, from Florida. And then they got uh, John Harar from outside of Philadelphia. Both of those guys were pretty unheralded, pretty under the radar. Um, you know, I know Harar especially did not have a whole lot of high major offers. He kind of came out of the blue, was supposed to be a kid that was going to go play football for the Army. Um and then backed out of that and decided on hoops a couple months later and ended up at Penn State. And then Wheeler's actually kind of interesting and a guy who some people have some legit expectations for already. He's kind of made an impression within the program um, as a lightning fast point guard. Um, he was he at least had a couple of high major offers. I think Seton Hall was looking at him. Auburn was looking at him. Um, and, and he settled on Penn State. So... So there's kind of been this shuffling going on on the bench, and, and that's a lot, of, a lot of people have been focusing on that. But I think this season is going to come down to the uh, progression of the three freshmen um, that are now sophomores, Tony Carr, Lamar Stevens, and Mike Watkins. Um, you know, those three guys kind of just were thrown into the fire last year. And I don't want to say – I mean, honestly, they kind of performed as expected, I felt like. They, they clearly showcased that they have – um, pro potential. And I, I think all three of those guys can play at the next level. Um, you know, whether that's the NBA or not, I don't know, but they can definitely be lucrative overseas, um, in European leagues. 
Um, and, and Penn State's never really had a nucleus like those three guys, um, at least not since I've been following the program. Um, you know, you'd have to go back to the 90s or so or before that to find th- three guys with those abilities that are going to carry this team this season. Um, and then you throw in veteran guys like Shep Garner and Josh Reeves, and that's where you get the optimism that this team could actually finally make the NCAA tournament. Um, so that's kind of really heading into this season. What I'm looking for is the progression out of those three guys. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to dominate the conversation here. So, so yeah, uh, uh, let's, uh, let's, yeah. let's pull, cha- let's pull Chad, uh, Chad in and that's fine. I can sit back here. Go well, ahead. no, I was, ha- I, I was very happy that Eric brought up, uh, the recruiting class, because Penn State's recruiting class, it was 13th in the Big Ten, 116th nationally. Uh, the outside of... Uh, and, and can I just for one second say, never has there ever been a better time for you to be the 116th team nationally in recruiting rankings than this summer. Yeah, I... I people <laughs> no suspicions yeah. coming in for this recruiting <laughs> uh, But yeah, I mean, outside of Butrick, who... Uh, committed on February 8th of 2017. You know, Wheeler was a guy who came in late. Harar was a guy who came in late. And Chad, this recruiting class, especially compared to the one that we saw the year before, which, you know, the best one in program history, I think it really, really underwhelmed a lot of people. Uh, I don't think that you know, expecting any of them to step in and make any kind of an immediate impact is anything anybody should expect. But do you think that any of these three guys are going to be able to get some time as freshmen and maybe make a positive impact? And if not, what do you think that time is going to be for Wheeler, Buttrick, and Harar? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody expects much from this recruiting class. It's definitely, um, they're all late ads. Like Eric said before, we didn't have or Penn State didn't have any you know, scholarships heading into, I don't know, I think February or so, and then they decided, well, let's recruit uh, Trent Buttrick, and then uh, with the departures coming, uh, they figured let's you know go after Jamari Wheeler and, and uh, uh, John Harar. So, yeah, I mean, I don't see, uh, you know, obviously I think I think the it's pretty clear that either Harar or Buttrick, maybe both will redshirt this year. Um, it's nice to have an extra body, an extra five fouls. Um, you know, Penn State's pretty, uh, pretty adept at, Fouling people, so it's nice to have an extra <laughs> body or so, but, or one or two bodies there to just throw five fouls out, take the uh, Davis and Goulas memorial spot for just having five fouls. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think uh, Jamari Wheeler, I mean, the way he played in the Bahamas, it seems like he's really um, going to take that backup point guard spot away from Shep Garner almost and let him play off the ball even more because, um, like Eric said, he is a lightning fast player. He's got, he's very quick, he's very agile. Um, the shot doesn't look totally broken, which is nice for a, a Penn State point guard. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I do, I do see him getting a lot of run as, you know, behind Tony Carr as, as much as, you know, Penn State and Pat Chambers have relied on playing their best players, 36, 37 minutes a night. Um, I don't think Carr will be asked to play that much, right? You know, um, with, with Wheeler stepping in and maybe giving at least 10 minutes a night would be great. Um, but yeah, otherwise this is, this is like um this is a role player recruiting class where there's not really uh, a whole ton of star potential right away. Uh, maybe down the road Wheeler could be, uh, you know, with, with his with his quickness and athleticism, that's that's something to look forward to down the road. But right now, I don't really see any of these guys having a major impact aside from Wheeler being the backup point guard. Yeah, I mean, 
I uh, I was at Media Day and listening to Pat, who, uh, as we all know, can be a little hyperbolic at times, but listening to him talk about Wheeler speed, uh, I believe he was tossing out Tim Frazier as a comparison speed-wise. For him, like, he, he seems to at least be optimistic. At least I took it as Wheeler being the kind of guy who is going to fight to get a spot. Uh, he was making it really adamant that Wheeler was going after Carr in practice every day, which at the very least is something that's going to make Tony Carr better. And if he can carve out a nice little role, like you said, 10 minutes, whatever, uh, game, yeah, that's perfect, and that's nice. But, uh, Dan, I'm going to go to you because this is for how, you know, Penn State has role players, and maybe we need to see one or two of them step up in some way. This team is all about its starting five. I, I was talking to someone who uh, knows some stuff within the program, and they said the big reason for optimism with the Penn State basketball team this year is that it believes it is a starting five who can go toe-to-toe on any given night with anybody in the Big Ten. And I don't think that's a massive stretch. So coming into this year, Dan, what, do you, like, what are your thoughts on just the importance of keeping this core together and, you know, having this starting five who's established and we know has a potential to be really good. And kind of adding on to that, who is the one player, one or two players maybe, who you think outside of that starting five has to be able to take that next step so Penn State is able to have those one or two other guys that can rely on on, you know, a night that somebody doesn't have their A game? The continuity that you're talking about is, I think, even more important because they don't have any continuity off the bench. So the it's not just the core of the team in the sense that they're the five most important players. It's the core of the team in the sense that they're some of the only players that are still on this team from you know the last couple of years. So that continuity is even more critical. You're talking about, aside from Garner, guys that are you know, the team for the next two years, um, and you know, so so that that part of it's absolutely true, and 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 they do have a legitimate starting five, and when they when they are able to dictate things in the game to the point where they can control the substitutions, getting the guys the rest they need to, staying out of foul trouble, that starting five is going to put them in a position to win. It's when they you know lose the the control over those things. You know they're they're playing from behind. They are they have guys in foul trouble. Guys are having to you know play more minutes than they would like, which we've seen happen for a guy like Chef Garner. You know all the time throughout his three years at Penn State. Those are the those that's when they're going to get into, into problems. So you know that that depth you know is is very unproven right now. So to answer your second question, I think the obvious first one is is Nazir Bostic. He's a guy who, you know, going into last year, weren't sure if he was even going to play based on the roster construction, if he was going to be a redshirt candidate or not. Uh, you know, ended up showing some things, showed some some potential there. Not much of a, a jump shot, but athletic, can get to the rim, can play some defense. You know, so there, there's something there. Did he do the things in the offseason that that can, can get him to that next level? That's going to be a key question, I think. Satchel Pierce is an obvious answer to this question too. There's, there's, it's no secret that depth in the front court's been an issue for this program basically forever, and 
you know, they have a legit starter in Mike Watkins, but he's a guy who, due to a mixture of some conditioning, uh, you know, getting used to uh, playing, you know, as much time as he had to play for as a long a season as he had to play last year, and foul trouble, you know, he, he's he spends quite a bit of the games, you know, on the bench compared to, you know, some of the guys at the other positions that are in the starting lineup. So having some depth in the form of Pierce, you know, potentially uh, John Harar as well. You know, that's going to be an important thing because, you know, Julian Moore, you know, you're talking about kids that, you know, have been in the program and, you know, have worked hard. He's one of them uh, coming off a knee injury, you know, has has been, I'd say, uh, inconsistent in throughout his career at Penn State. So he's a guy who, you know, you don't want to ha- need to rely on at night in and night out, at, you know, if Watkins is a little winded or in foul trouble, having the option to go to Pierce on the nights where, you know, Moore doesn't really have that when he's a little bit outsized, outmuscled by some of the opposing bigs that they're going to face in the Big Ten schedule, that gives them some nice flexibility as well. So I think Bostic and Pierce are probably the two keys. Um, you know, if I had to name a third, I'd probably go with Wheeler, uh, you know, the ability to have him lock in on that backup point guard spot to do what you said and really allow Garner to focus on playing the wing. You know, those are really, I, I think, the, uh, the, the three most important players in the bench this year. And as we're looking at, you know, this year, let's just talk about expectations. I mean, for how much we like to not talk about this, Pat Chambers is in a very, very weird spot where this is going to be his his seventh year at Penn State. Is that correct? Yeah, his seventh year at Penn State, yeah. and he has never made anything higher than a CBI. And we all like Pat. We all want to see him succeed here. But, of course, there's chirping. There's always going to be chirping whenever you go this long without any kind of a tournament appearance. If that's over two coaches or three coaches, Penn State's had that over one. So uh, I'm going to start with Chad because I want to save Eric for last because I don't know how long he is going to talk about this. So, Chad, as we're going into this season, like, what do you think the expectations have to be for this program? And is that generally what, like, what you think we can expect for Penn State this year? Uh, I think most fans would be pretty upset if we didn't make the NIT, and I think that's a pretty fair um way to look at this season um you know having all these guys come back and and having you know the talent that we do have on the roster it's it's you know at some point i guess it, it, it is it does become a, a you know how long are we willing to wait for this to turn around because i mean yeah we you know it, we are going to have these kids coming back again next year that's that seems like the the, the way it's going to progress but even still you know at what point does sandy barber lose patience and 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 decided to make a change. So, um, you know, I, I I don't. It could it could definitely go bottoms up here. Um, you know, it's 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 basketball. Things can, a lot of things can go wrong. A lot of injuries can happen. A lot of, you know, there's, there's a lot of. I mean, Penn State was involved in a lot of close games last year. If they lose those games again this year, that's, you know, it's it's not good because the win loss record is just going to look worse and worse. Um, so. Uh, expectations should definitely be at least postseason, but um, you know it is. It's a special. It's a unique situation at Penn State for sure. Um, most coaches would not get would not get this kind of time. So it's it really you can't say necessarily for sure that um, Pat will get fired if he doesn't make the NIT. But that's I mean that seems to be the expectation all around. 
Yeah, and Dan, do you generally agree with that? I think everybody's on the same page with with where they are this time, and and you know it's it's a tough spot for for him and the staff. It's it's a little bit of a tough spot for the athletic department. You know, everybody knows the stakes. Um, you know, but there does become a point of you know diminishing returns. You know, it has to have some other effects. You know, the the, the lack of progress. You know, it's, it doesn't help on the recruiting trail. You know, the, those. It's just a. It, I think it's a thing where everybody sort of knows, you know, is where they are. And I think towards the end of the season, whatever happens, I think generally everybody's probably going to have a, a good feeling on whether it was it, the season was what it needed to be or not. I think in you know in February and in March, we're going to know you know pretty solidly about you know how uh, how the season went and what it means for you know everybody involved. You know, other than, you know, if if things do, you know, uh, go poorly, uh, you know, what what level of interest there be in, in, you know, some of the players and recruits and things like that. You know, those are the, a little bit of the wild card. But as far as the athletic department, and the coaching staff is concerned, I think, you know, we're going to we're going to have a pretty clear idea as we get into the end of the season as to how they how the uh, administration feels about you know, where the program is and where it's heading. Yeah, Eric, uh, when you hear that. Uh, do do you think it's postseason or bust? Do you think it's fair for it to be postseason or bust? I guess is the better question. I, I definitely think it's fair. Um, if we're if by postseason we mean NCAA NIT, um, you know, as as far as NIT being the the bare minimum standard, um, this team is definitely good enough to go to the NIT. And if they if they were to miss out on the NIT, that would definitely be. Um, a, a disappointment and one that I'm not sure that they would even be able to recover from, you know, in recruiting and, and all of that. So if they fall short of that, then yeah, I would, I would assume that Penn state's going to make a move. Um, you know, Sandy Barber's kind of been real vague about it. You know, we, we've talked about his contract situation before last year. Um, he never did get any kind of extension. So I think he's only signed through like 2019 or 2020. So, um, you know, there's definitely kind of a put up or shut up, you know, expectations arising. Uh, but I guarantee you, everyone in that locker room and within the program is embracing them, and they don't even care because these are these are kids who grew up winners. Like you know, we we've talked about it before. Tony, I mean, we've covered Tony Carr already for like two or three years because he was winning Philly Catholic championships in high school, probably because he's been winning championships since he's a kid, ever since he's been playing. Like these kids are winners, and, and they don't. You know, last year was probably their hardest year of basketball in their careers of not being able to make the postseason, that kind of thing, kind of being a little bit irrelevant because they couldn't close out a lot of those close games. Um, so, yeah, those are the expectations. I don't think they should be shy from them. Um, but it's one of those deals where there's so much you got to take into effect, um, kind of how this season plays out. What if, what if Lamar um, Stevens gets mono? What if Tony Carr, like, does this? Like, you know, things could definitely happen that, could derail their season. Um, but yeah, if they fall short of the postseason, I definitely think, um, you know, there's probably going to be a coaching change. And I, I don't think that would be unfair at all. Um, but, but it's really hard for me to definitively say one way or the other, this is how things are supposed to be. Cause it's never a black and white line. Um, a, a big thing is, you know, I, I don't know what, how Sandy Barber, you know, what her network connections are in the basketball world, but, you know, whoever their next hire is going to be, 
um, is going to be vitally important. Like, can they salvage the recruiting momentum in Philly? Um, you know, what? who knows? Like, I mean, that's so far down the line. But if you feel like – if Sandy Barber feels like she can get a top-notch coach, then I would not be opposed to her trying to, to pursue that. But, but honestly, I, I think this is going to be irrelevant anyway because I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about this season. So um, – I'm more focused on what they need to do to make the NCAA tournament because I think it's a very realistic goal um, for the talent that they have. Um, just definitely, you know, usually in sports, you need things to break your way for sure. They need to stay healthy. Um, but, you know, once we get to touch on the Big Ten and you kind of see what's going on in the league, um, you kind of see how vulnerable it is this year for a program like Penn State to kind of jump up into the middle, if not the upper echelon um, of this season. Um, it's kind of like this is their chance. Like if it, if not now, then when? Um, you know, because the other thing is too, you don't know how long these these talented players are going to stay. Uh, I know we've talked about it with Mike Watkins. He's like a 22 year old junior, 23 year old junior. He's already pretty old. Um, the odds of him staying for another year or so are are pretty slim. Um, you know, now Tony and, and Lamar are true sophomores, so that, you know, but they also have pro aspirations. So. It's one of those deals where it's like, if Penn State actually makes the NCAA tournament, how is that going to affect those guys' pro potential? Are they going to stay? Are they going to go? Um, we just got to see how this season plays out before we really dive into expectations. But for right now, if you need an answer, definitely postseason or bust. Uh, to correct one thing, uh, and this is proof that Mike Watkins has been around forever, in basketball terms, he is a redshirt sophomore uh, because Mike has been uh, tied to Penn State program in one way or another for about a decade now. So that's great. Uh, so, so he's the Sterling Jenkins of the basketball team. Would he basically. be the Sterling Jenkins or the Andrew Nelson? I, just just in terms of the the. He's been around line. forever. I think there's a yeah. lot of similarities yeah, there. I think that's fair. Uh, but yeah, I, I was gl- Eric. You mentioned the Big Ten. Uh, looking at Penn State's non-conference schedule, it's um, I-, I believe the word is not good. Uh, Penn State's probably really, really hoping that it's going to be able to get in the Barclays tournament, get a game against Texas A&M, hopefully one that it can either win or lose. Really, really, really close to get a big boost to its. Uh, non-con because otherwise I don't think getting a win against uh, Binghamton is going to be the thing to ride into the tournament. However, Penn State has, uh, you know, has to go through the ringer that is the Big Ten. And if you're able to come out with a, uh, if you can go 10 and 8 in the Big Ten, generally that's a pretty good mark to get. I Like, I don't know any of the advanced stats, like real record or anything like that, but the Big Ten is kind of wide open this year. Uh, I don't think any of us are going to pick Penn State to win it. Uh, but Eric, as you're looking at the Big Ten right now, where do you think Penn State falls in the conference hierarchy? Uh, hmm. Well, that's interesting. I mean, so I, I'm viewing the Big Ten right now um, as kind of there's like three tiers. Um there's the top tier. Now, actually, Michigan State's kind of in their own top tier because they're just loaded with NBA talent across the roster. Um, if you recall, they were also very young last year, and they kind of went through their growing pains just like Penn State did. But, you know, their baseline was still making the NCAA tournament, and now all those guys came back, including Miles Bridges, and they're just loaded with four- and five-star talent across the board um, and have pretty absurd depth across the front line. They got Cassius Winston, who's a pretty crazy playmaker at point guard. 
Um, so they're a top five team, and, I, and and you'll see that in any college basketball publication. Now behind them, you know, that I would kind of include with them the top tier would be Purdue, Northwestern, and Minnesota, solely for the fact that all three of those teams are returning. You know, now Purdue lost Caleb Swan again. That's you know that's a huge loss, but. Um, Northwestern and Minnesota especially are pretty much returning all of their important pieces from their NCAA tournament teams last year and are adding some really nice players as well to fill out the rotations. Um, so those teams, you know, but even with those teams, though, you still think about it, like, is Northwestern and Minnesota really going to, like, cement themselves as, like, top half Big Ten programs going forward? Because that's kind of what they're in position to do right now um, with if, they, if both those teams make back-to-back NCAA tournaments. Um, but then you got this middle tier, and this is where Penn State fits in. Um, and, and, and this middle tier is pretty wide open. You got you got some pretty named, like renowned programs like Wisconsin, Michigan, who have to replace a lot of production from their teams last year. Um, you know, now those programs are both stable. Um, with you know, obviously John Beeline's a great coach. Um, you know, Greg Gard's proven himself, even though he's only coached there for like a year and a half now. Um, but you know, the expectation there is those, those teams are NCAA tournament teams. Um, but who knows that they have, they have some questions to, uh, answer before we can anoint them into the NCAA tournament. Um, Maryland too, Maryland, um, Maryland also has a nucleus of sophomores, uh, with, uh, Herder, Cowan and, uh, Justin Jackson, you know, they're, they're, they have some talent as well. Um, and then, and then you got Iowa also a young team. Was sophomore, and I would even throw Indiana into that group as well. Um, Indiana has Archie Miller, first-year head coach, um, and they also lost uh, a, a good number of guys from last year's team, like Blackman and um, uh, Thomas Bryant. But they still have um, Robert Johnson. They still have Teron Davis is expected to have a huge breakout year under Miller. Um, so those guys, that team still has some pieces too. So it's kind of like in that middle group. So who, who did I say? Wisconsin, Michigan. Penn State, Maryland, Iowa, Indiana. If Penn State can somehow finish ahead of most of those teams, which isn't, you know, granted, you know, you hear, everyone will hear, like, Penn State basketball being better than Michigan and Wisconsin. Are you serious? Honestly, it, it could happen. And if it does, then this team's going to make the NCAA tournament. So how they how they perform against that middle tier is really going to determine, um, you know whether this team makes sense of a tournament or not. They have to be better than the bottom tier, though, which is Ohio State, who's like lost everybody and has a brand new coach. They're in for a pretty rough first season under Holtman. But they, I mean, you know, that's a program that's probably going to come back. But right now, catching them at the right time. Same with Illinois. Um, Underwood's got a, is a great coach. Um, has really proven himself as an offensive genius at his last two stops but at the same time Illinois is pretty shorthanded this year they lost like all their teams from John Gross after he got terminated um they got Tim Miles who is still trying to uh survive in Lincoln that NCAA tournament was like years ago um and then of course Rutgers so they got to stay out of those but like they can't be competing with those four they should be clearly ahead of those four programs um but that middle tier is really where Penn State can kind of make its its move um whether they can win 9, 10, 11 Big Ten games um, and finish ahead of some of those programs that usually are better than them. So so that's what, that's what I'm saying when I talk about the Big Ten being vulnerable or whatever with so many new coaches in the league and, and a lot of turnover. Here's a chance for Penn State to return with, with all five of their return, returning starters to finally you know make that leap 
just to the middle. Like, I mean, that's all we're talking about here. We're, we're just trying to get Penn State to the middle of the Big Ten because usually when you're in the middle of the Big Ten, you're on the bubble. Um, you're competing for an NCAA tournament bid. So that's kind of – there's really no reason for them not to be in that middle tier. It, is Brad Underwood, like, safe? I, I, I've kind of, like, tried to ignore the too terribly much of the – FBI investigation? Yeah, all that nonsense. But I know that he's like one of the coaches who name, whose name keeps popping up. Is he like well, fine? Uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State was implicated in the initial pro right. release or whatever, which is obviously his old program. He just came from Oklahoma State. Um, so I think one of his assistants was actually named. So that 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 is like the direct okay. connection to okay. Underwood, if you would. But honestly, all that stuff, just wait. It's all going to come out. Um, who knows who's going to be implicated? Uh, could be anybody. Everyone knows. It's it's been like the the biggest secret, like the worst kept secret in, in basketball for years. Is that all all of this has been going on between right. shoe company reps um, and elite prospects? Um, so we'll see what happens. If if you want to have the conversation, is Penn State going to be involved in that probe? I would be really surprised simply because usually most of those recruits that get those offers that the shoe companies really want are usually top 50, top 25 kids. Um, and really the only kid Penn State has landed in that um, echelon, if you will, is, is Tony Carr. So, you know, did they pay him? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, who, who really knows? But if I was a Penn State fan, I wouldn't really be concerned about being implicated. And if they are, then they'll, they'll move forward. All right, so let's talk about something else. Uh, Chad, what do you think about Penn State's place in the Big Ten hierarchy? Uh, I was going to say I was a little surprised by Ken Palm having a seventh in the conference, but um, yeah, I mean we're definitely in the middle tier, uh, looking, you know, in, in looking for you know top half finishes. I don't it's, know. It's Why reasonable. are you surprised by the Ken Palm ranking? I mean, 40 is pretty damn high for Penn State. I mean, yeah, it's the highest I, I was a little surprised ever. by it, too. Yeah. I thought they were going to be better. I didn't think they'd be that much better. Mm-hmm. I know I he mean, takes – I mean, the, the big thing there, I guess, is, is the freshman and sophomore improvement. Like, I think he's he's gone over and said that, that that's, like, the biggest – one of the biggest things he looks at. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's – it's really high for Penn State for a team that was, you know, where were we last year? Sub, like, around the 90s or so all last year pretty much. I think they finished 80th. Yeah. I don't know. They were 87th last year. I mean, Hovering, covering 70s and 80s, yeah. Basically. Their per possession was was actually pretty good. Their per possession stats. Um, that's why, like, you know, we've talked about it before about how. Um, did we just cut off? Hello. Yeah. Hello. You're, you're good. good. You're good. Uh, sorry. No, my like sound just went out. Um. Yeah. I'll no. Edit, edit that out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Bill, I, I, take, take a note that. right there, right there. That minimum mark there. We're gonna need to fix that. Uh, yeah, I'll put the intern <laughs> on that. I'm a little bit tied up tonight, but we'll it doesn't work because we actually have interns. But go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, I'll make yeah. one of our interns do it. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. No. We didn't have that last year. This yeah. I, that's a great point. Sorry, you Matt. guys are no, If you are by some miracle still listening to this, you are seeing how the site has grown in the last year or so. So <laughs> isn't that special? What were we talking about? Chad was talking about yeah, Kim, yeah, No, we were talking about Ken Palm. So. Oh, yeah, Ken Palm. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I mean, I think the, uh, the thing that surprised me, and I know you had talked about, you know, the, the defense was good last year. They're right now 19th Ken Palm projection. The offense making the leap that, that they are in that, I think, is the thing that surprised me more. 
because that's relying on quite a bit of development, I think, from a shooting standpoint, that I'm not sure where that comes from on this team. All right, well, yeah, let's talk about it. So, Lamar Stevens, what do you guys think Lamar Stevens' offensive rating was last year in the Big Ten? In the Big Ten, uh, hovering around 100. 87.6. Woof, okay. Now, do you think Lamar Stevens is an 87.6 offensive rating player? No, certainly not, but it's still yes. it's still a big leap. He shot 42%. Just to get back to 100, it's going to yeah. be quite a bit. That's what I'm saying. They're basically, like, if you really look at their stats, um, you know, obviously now Tony Carr, the progression he had last season was pretty impressive to me because he started out terrible in the non-con. Um, and just simply got better. Like, if you look at his stats, um, his Big Ten stats were all marginally better than his non-con, like, than his total stats, which means they were significantly better than his non-con stats. Um, and then if you remember, like, he just turned it on in February where he was scoring close to, like, 18, 19 points a game with, like, five assists a game. He was playing, like, one of the best guards in the league. They just couldn't get over the hump because so many of his other teammates were really kind of hitting the wall. Um, you know, they had the Bostic injury. Um, but, so I, Tony, but, but when they ha- when they're on the offensive set, I guess my question is, what are they doing this year? If you know, I mean, how how much of this is based on the idea that Shep Garner is finally going to be, you know, the three point shooter and floor spacer that they need him to be? It's the Jim Ferry bump. Yeah. You know, I, I I think that he has the ability to do that, but I think that you're you're banking on an awful lot with that when you have guys with Carr and Stevens who are I'd say you know about average three point shooters. They're you know that's not the strength of their game. All right. Well, yeah. No, if we're going to focus solely on three point shooting, no, they're not going to be a good three point shooting team. They haven't been for the duration of Chambers' um, tenure here. I don't think that's something that's going to make or break their offense. That's not that, that's the David Jones logic of you know all we need to do is talk about is three point shooting. Um, one, I mean, we already saw Lamar Stevens is capable of being a three point shooter. Chambers finally let him finally gave him the green light towards the end of the stretch uh, last season, um, and he looked comfortable. Like it, it didn't seem like a stretch that he would just be able to take a step or two back and start shooting some threes. So you'll see him um, shoot some more threes. Um, but, yeah, no, I don't think that's really going to be what makes the offense better. And, honestly, even then, though, Ken Palm's got the offense at 60th. Right, that's like what I'm that. saying. It's a huge leap. And, and, and I'm, not saying, offense, I'm not saying three-point – I'm not saying three-point – well, it was 168th last year. So, it, I mean, it's, it's – I'm, I'm speaking relatively now. But I think my question is, you know, it's, it's going to be a combination of things. Do you think it's just getting better at getting out in transition and using that as, as a strength? I just think it's going to happen naturally with their talent. I, I mean, like, I, I'm, and I'm going to use Carr and Stevens as the baseline. Now, if you, I mean, they, they shot 45% as a team from two last year. That's worse than anything they did from three. Like, that, that's, frankly, it's putrid. That's, that's a terrible, no high major conference team should be that inefficient shooting two-point shots. Um, and really, the biggest culprits of that were Tony and Lamar for a lot of the times. Um now, part of that's because, you know, they were freshmen. They were, you know, Chambers gave them the ball, let them play through their mistakes. You know, they, they for me, for Stevens especially, I feel like he falls in love with the mid-range pull-up too much. Um, I'd like to see him work more towards getting to the rim. Um, 
I've seen Tony Carr enough to play, or I've seen Carr in his floater enough to know that he can be better from two next year. Um, heck, he didn't even shoot 40% from two for the season. Now, if you don't think that those guys as freshmen can bring their percentages up, I mean, we can. you can look at any of the good players in college basketball. I mean, you, we can look up Taylor Battle's percentages when he was a freshman and how much he improved. Um Good players are good players, and I, I believe enough in Carr and Stevens and their ability um, to know that they're going to shoot the ball a lot better than they did last year. Maybe not necessarily from three, um, but definitely from two, um, or they're, or this team's not going to be any good. So, I do, I do think floor spacing is a, is a big concern, though. I mean, losing... That's what that's what Peyton Banks brought to the team more than anything. Really, it's just is just floor spacing, the ability, like you know, having the threat Thanks, of dude. having another guy hitting. Hey, he was he shot thirty six percent, sir. Listen, he listen. shot more, but he shot two hundred threes, and right, having right. that was having a second floor spacer out there is huge for guys be, trying to get to the rim. You know, like it's not. I'm not yeah, saying he, he was good at it, but like how much are teams going to respect Stevens and Carr? And not Shep Garner players from hitting a three. You know what I mean? He hit threes at a better clip than anybody else last season. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm talking. All right. They're starting five. Other than Mike, which honestly, who knows? I think Mike's going to, you're going to see Mike Watkins expand his range too. I just don't think they'll let him shoot threes. <laughs> yeah. But um, but all four they, of them. They having Satchel shoot uh, threes this year. So at, at the Big Ten Media Days, I, I think Pat says what about that. So we'll see. But yeah. yeah, yeah we'll see. I, I did just look it up because Eric brought it up though. As a team, their field goal percentage last year was 301st in the country. Oh, yeah. Yes. 41%. And what was their three-point percentage, though? It was a little bit better, uh, right? Well, that's graduate-level work. I don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's not saying. So, like, yeah, 34% from three as a and team. The thing, and the thing with Peyton is Peyton could not drive. He, like, I mean, he would try. He could not. No, no, no that's that's not even the point. The point is just having. To, just because he's from California doesn't mean he can't drive. <laughs> yeah. He got a hey, license. Folks, it's fine. It's just yeah. You know they can work around it for sure. It's just it's just having, you know, players not collapse on every drive that that you know that Tony Carr makes or Lamar Stevens makes because you have to have the threat of the kickout to keep these guys honest. But um, I mean they can definitely work around. It. I I'm I'm sure they'll they'll have some kind of some more sets with Jim Ferry coming in. And, you know Duquesne's always been like a, high, a a a fairly good offensive team more than and defensive anyways under him. So um, I'm interested to see what they do there. But yeah, I mean I I do. Wonder how much defense will keep them honest from three-point range. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I don't think it's going to be. I don't think. I think the three-point narrative is not going to be something that dominates this season because just I don't. I don't know. No, I, I agree. Uh, I think they will get. They will get like I Carr think, and Stevens be a lot more efficient from three for sure. Yeah, they'll definitely still run in transition. You know, definitely that's where Ferry is going to come in. Um, Ferry seems also played high high tempo. Um, push the ball, and, and and the defense can force turnovers and and get deflections. Like Watkins and Reeves, if both those guys are on the floor, there are going to be ample opportunities to get out and run off live balls, um, and that's huge. It's huge for a team that can't shoot well enough. Um, but honestly, I got to look up their transition stats. I, I feel like we weren't a very good transition team last year. Well, it was it, it was the first year that they really made that a focal point. So uh, you know, it was a, yeah, it was a trans, trans, It was a transitional year for the transition game, 
and this is really year two of that. So you would you would hope that as they have another year of sort of practicing that as a, as a modus operandi, that they that they're more comfortable with that. Yeah, and, In addition to just being you know better players as uh, as most of these guys are, you know, sophomores now. And if memory yeah. serves, didn't Pat mention at media day that? He thought they were trying to play a little bit too fast at times this year, and this year he kind of wants them to take their foot off the gas. He mentioned that, but I don't think it's going to happen. Oh, I mean, well, they would, me, going right? back to the going back to the Ken Palm thing in 2016, they were 270th in adjusted tempo, and last year they were 63rd. So it was a total flip of approach, which yeah. we, we you know, the eye test told you that too, but. You know, it, it's it's backed up by that. So, I and I wouldn't be surprised if what uh, what Bill is saying is true. I think that that you know that you know there might be a little bit of that. But but I think it's also you know you're not trying to share hands. It wasn't like they were they were super sloppy with the ball last year. You know, the, the turnovers weren't a huge issue for them. Um, you know, so I I don't think that that's. I think it's just a matter of of shot selection at that point. Yeah, yeah I, I really do think too. Like the the. The bread and butter should be the defense. I mean, you can, um, I mean, just having a, a good defense will obviously create more opportunities on offense for transition runouts and everything. And um, you know, I, I mean, look at a team like South Carolina last year. They were they were in a very average team offense, ninety first overall, but they had the third ranked defense in the country, and they rode that to a Final Four. So I'm not I'm not saying Penn State will be able to duplicate that or anything, but most of these, you know. These final four teams or these really these teams that go far in the tournament, they they build off defense and they and they worry about offense almost not secondarily, but like um, you know just having transition looks is a lot more you know it's it's a lot easier to do than than try to manufacture stuff in the half court. So um, yeah. I think if they do get back to a defensive kind of mentality, that will be very beneficial for them. Yeah, Minnesota is the same way. Um, mm-hmm. They play the same style. I really think Patino and Chambers are really like. Building their programs the exact same way. If you follow Patino's recruiting and their and how they they play defensively, they're kind of like the same almost. Like Patino's spent most of his time recruiting Minnesota local kids, um, and then they also got a guy on the staff who recruits New York City. Mm-hmm. But other than that, their their rosters mostly like AAU programs that they know, just like Chambers recruits team final and team takeover. And they both run similar similar style stuff, especially you know with their focus on defense um, and getting out in transition. So um, it, the I think the model can absolutely work. Um, you know, you're right. The, the defense, and that's what Chambers has been preaching, is about how the um, that the, they're focusing on defense and rebounding because they can definitely imp- improve on defense. But frankly, they were already the I think the sixth or the fifth best def- defensive team in the Big Ten last year. Um, they were better than the average, which um, has only happened. So I, I keep I keep track of conference efficiency, um, and I have uh, using Ken Palm's database. Last year's team was the third best ever in Big Ten play per possession um, in Penn State's 17-year or whatever it is Ken Palm history. Um, and they were the, the only the third unit that actually outperformed the Big Ten average efficiency. And what I mean by that is like um, the defense was actually better than the average Big Ten efficiency. That's only happened two other times. The 2011 offense was better than the Big Ten efi- average efficiency that year. And DJ Newell's team actually out really defended as well. They beat the uh, Big Ten efficiency on defense in 2015. Other than that, though. 
they haven't even come close. Like, obviously, that's the record of futility of this program. But since that is the baseline of where this team that was the 336th old or whatever team last year, which basically they were like one of the youngest teams, um, there's just so much room for them to grow from where their baseline is from last year that really not making not making the NCAA tournament is just like I don't know I, I'll be pretty uh, pretty uh, bummed if they don't do that. Sorry to just bring that back to the NCAA tournament, but no, totally cool. I- I mean, I think this year is – it's about taking that next step. And for plenty of people, that next step is making it to an, the NCAA tournament. So I, I think the more we talk about that, the more uh, – the better that probably is. Uh, we kind of went off track a little bit, but in a very, very good way. Um, is there anything else that you all want to talk about before we uh, wrap up this episode of the podcast? Yeah, we can wrap it up. It's fine. We don't want to go too long. Yeah. You sure? You sure Got all season to talk. I, I feel Got all like, season. I feel like the folks have been waiting, and if we want to give them an hour and a half long podcast on Penn State basketball, they will listen. <laughs> yeah. Well. Nah. Yeah. Right. I'm going to the I'm going to the scrimmage against Lafayette on Saturday. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, uh, so if you for uh, that, uh, charity and everything, I yeah. will. I will be up for the uh, the, the opener against uh, Campbell. I think I think after the Campbell game, that'll probably give us about an hour and a half worth of material. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, how many times have we said on the podcast like the measuring stick for Penn State basketball's game against Campbell? It's so the fact they're opening with that, and then Fairleigh Dickinson that one-two punch is going to be pretty big for them. I'd uh, I have to say. Uh, but yeah, you could. You, the, the thing is that for about. Ten of these teams, th- that joke works equally well. Yes, yeah. on this non-con. We, yeah, you want to talk about the non-con real quick? Yeah, sure. Uh, Chad, make a noise to describe how you feel about Penn State's non-con. <laughs> I figure that's the direction <laughs> we're going to go in. Uh, but yeah, I, it's really bad. And I, I mentioned earlier that I think a lot of they're probably hoping and praying they can get a game against Texas A&M in the Barclays tournament. Although I will, I will say though, like um, just if they can somehow either play well or win both these Big Ten games in early December, that's going to be like a huge oh, it, yeah. confidence boost. Yeah, so that'll be great. You, so for, but, uh, for yeah, the, yeah. the listeners and not uh, me who don't know this, um, can you explain why the beginning of December includes a pair of Big Ten games? Uh, Jim Delaney is a greedy bastard and wanted to play the uh, the Big Ten tournament. In it's the, the dumbest thing I've ever and seen. So a week life. before Selection Sunday, so normally the Big Ten Championship is the last game before the Selection Show. This this year it'll be an entire week before Selection Sunday. Uh, so they had to bump up two uh, Big Ten games to early December just to, to fit everything in. Um, and Chambers just said that it, it made it a lot harder for him to schedule some games against you know other power conference teams or other quality opponents, which I, I buy to an extent. Um, but so they're playing Iowa on December 2nd and Wisconsin on Monday, December 4th. Um, it's at Iowa first and then home against Wisconsin. Um, those are two tough games. Uh, it's nice having Wisconsin at home that early, I guess. Uh, they have a lot of turnover turnover in their roster. Uh, they do have Ethan Happ, however. Um, and Iowa, too, is kind of the same boat as Penn State, a young team that with a lot of sophomores looking to make a push to the tournament. Um, so, you know, it, it's definitely a good measuring stick, but yeah, it's, it's just kind of ridiculous that they have to play these two games, two big 10 games in December and then wait a whole week 
um, after their last Big Ten tournament game for any kind of postseason. Yeah, but yeah, I rest in the non-con. I mean, Campbell, FDU, Montana, Columbia, Pitt, and then either Oklahoma yeah, State. It's, or Texas it's pretty bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, I blame Kevin Stallings. I blame uh, Dennis Smith and Mark Godfrey. <laughs> um, and I blame uh, who's the coach that George Washington got fired two years ago for screaming out his players. I blame him too. No, it's not. It is what it is, man. Well, no, no, Eric. What's so, what was his name? Because now here funny. we go. Lonergan. He's talking about Lonergan. We need to talk about though. We need to just like have a real conversation about how can Penn State actually schedule better. Right. Um, I mean, it's tough. I mean, there's it's a lose lose situation for any opponent. It's most- all. It's like sports media just takes these narratives, like, mm-hmm. and, and you know we're guilty of it too. Just like everyone focusing on the strength of schedule and, and that kind of thing, instead of really looking at what other high major conference teams are doing. If you really look at, I mean, other Big Ten teams' schedules. Obviously, this whole Madison Square Garden experiment and having those two conference dates in December kind of really threw a wrench in the whole non-conferencing um, schedule to begin with. Because it's a pain in the butt with like just the calendar. You got Thanksgiving, you got Christmas, you got a week of finals, and you got to fit in all these games within these like forty or so calendar days. Um, Plus, we didn't cal- get a Gavit game either, so. Exactly. Well, that's where I'm going to go with this because a yeah. lot of this is really determined by those conference affiliated events. Like Penn State doesn't have any control over who they get in the challenge, and they're always going to be the last team picked because they're Penn State basketball. They're not a, a market. Um, they're not a draw. They say. They're not a draw at all. Exactly. So mm-hmm. you know that's kind of out of their control. You're right. Not getting the Gavit games. That that would have been another high major opponent for them. Um, they they had no control over that as well. But if you think about it, though, you know. All Big Ten teams had to reserve December 1st through December 5th because they didn't know when they were going to schedule these two conference games. And then you also had the Big Ten ACC Challenge, which means you couldn't schedule a game that Monday through Wednesday, which is the 27th through the 29th of um, November. Um, November. And you're not going to fit another like actual like good game in between there between – you know, on November 30th, which is like the only other day in between there. So there's a whole week or so that they had to have blocked off um, for three games, two of them a conference game, and then whoever they got handed from ESPN, which ended up being, of course, NC State, as you were saying, Chad, who has lost a lot and has a first-year head coach. So they're not expected to make the tournament. They're not a big, um, you know, as far as RPI boost or anything like that. Um and then a lot of it is like your exempt event, you know, like last year's schedule ended up being super um, uh, high in the strength. Like it was definitely their hardest schedule, but a lot of that was just solely from that exempt event that they played at, in the hall of fame tip off because one, they got two top 25. Um, they got included in a field with Duke and Cincinnati with two top 25 teams. And they and also Island played, it was another, yeah. Yeah, and they also played two really good low majors that ended up being perfect like RPI-type opponents in Grand Canyon and Albany. I think both those teams won 20 games or close to it. Um, this year, you know, we know they've been in this exempt tournament for how many years? I mean, we had the scoop on that like a year and a half, two years ago. These things are usually scheduled a year or so in advance. Um, so you, you get included in this field. You don't really have control over what the matchups are going to be. I mean, we were fortunate enough to get Duke last year. Um, but what you're right. What if we got scheduled against Rhode Island? We probably would have been not playing Duke. So, um, there's just a lot of luck involved is really the big point I'm trying to get here. 
But you um, you asked the question at the beginning, which is what what strategically would you suggest doing differently? Playing Sam yeah. Johns. Yeah, no, and that was the other yeah, thing. Good. And I think I think you, I think the conversation probably starts with blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, no, don't get me wrong. Chambers deserves some criticism. He acting he's acting like no, he can't sign any home and homes with any major conference opponents. Um, and he really hasn't since he's been here. It's always been A10 teams like Duquesne um, and George Washington, like we've been talking about, George Mason. Um, you know, if I'm going to criticize Chambers, you know, DeCello's got high major opponents here. He had a home and home with Seton Hall. He had a home and home with Ole Miss. He had a home and home with Virginia Tech. So DeCello showed that it can be done. Now, there's plenty of reasons to not expect them to get a blue blood to come here or anything like that. But there are better quality opponents that they could get, um, at least one or two. But this year, I feel like they were really restricted because of the calendar and those two stupid. Uh, conference games that are really kind of like in the premier week of non-conference basketball um, for home and homes. Like that first week in December is before finals for everybody, but it's after the holidays. Usually a lot of big matchups will be um, thrown in that week. Uh, they didn't really have that luxury with the Big Ten schedule this year. Um, so it's it's a bad schedule. They have, too, they have way too many bye games. Um, there's so many games on Big Ten Plus, um, which sucks for the, us, the fans. But at the same time, like they're playing garbage teams, so it, it's it's interesting to see how it's going to work out because I don't think people really realize um, how quickly this season is going to go. Those first, I think it's their first ten games, um, they have to play five high major opponents, including two conference games. So you know, with how easy the schedule is, they can't slip up at home against any of these garbage teams. Um, that pit game in Brooklyn is going to be huge because Texas A&M would be, they need Texas A&M on their schedule. That would be a huge, that's a top 25 team right there in Texas A&M. Um, and if they can get them, that'll kind of give them a little bit of this, at least something to, um, show on their non-con schedule. Cause we know Pitt's going to be terrible. They have like a, a JV squad. Um, <laughs> but you know, if you think about it, if they can go like eight and two in those first 10 games, that's where this team should be, needs to be. They got to go one on one in those Big Ten games. Those are two toss ups. We just talked about how they're in that middle tier with Iowa and Wisconsin. Um, you know, going 0 and 2 would really kind of deflate the season before it really even began. Um, so we'll know by the time the Big Ten championship for football gets here. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't mean anything to us anymore, but. Oh, we'll know that um, where people came to this podcast to take their mind off of that. Fairness to Eric, he waited 58 minutes and 40 seconds to make that joke. So if anyone is listening by this point, they kind of deserve it. Yeah, but you know, but if you think about it, though, if they're eight and two, Hold on, that, much of my best material comes at the very end of these podcasts, and you're encouraging oh, people no, to don't, shut don't, this off. Don't worry, I'm I'm going to egg you on for some material once Eric's done talking. But Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, no, but like real talk though, like if they're eight and two, this, like come December fourth, after the, if like suppose we beat Wisconsin on December fourth to go to like eight and two or nine and one. They got five garbage games after that. They got to be like, you know, I'm, I'm going to disrespect George Washington and George Mason here because those are two teams they need to beat. Like, we can't, I'm just talking about how they need to win these games. Um, can't, got to afford those bad losses. You know, they should be able to start like 14 and two 
or something. And the thing with college basketball fans, they're very casual. A lot of them don't pay attention until football's over. People will see a 14 and two record, and this. I mean, we. Were, I mean, we even kind of ex- tasted it a little bit with DJ Newbills when they went 12 and one, even though they looked pretty terrible in that non-con. And the others were seeing that votes Oh man. Yeah, we oh, were yeah, receiving yeah. votes in the AP poll, and people were actually paying attention, and that could help them um, have some momentum within the fan base heading into the big, the meat of the Big Ten schedule and actually have home crowds. So hopefully they can turn some of those super close home losses that they had last year into wins, and then they'll be in business. But we'll see how it all works out for them. Remember the days when we were writing content about Penn State getting votes in the AP poll and like one person toward them in 24? Uh, I remember that George Washington game at home was like a huge deal. Right. But yeah, it's because uh, it's the only team that they play with a pulse and they actually yeah. look good. Yeah. Right. And uh, real quick, Dan, you mentioned blackmail. I'd like to know what exactly you're thinking. Like, if you have any any specifics you would like to spill here on the pod, or just ways that Penn State can blackmail uh, larger programs into playing games with them. I didn't have any specific ideas. I think it's one of those things where you just sort of run through a couple of different things and just hope that one of them is uh, is something that starts having people sweat. Um, you know, that this is, I mean, speaking as a director of operations, I think I, you know, I, I would say to Ross Condon, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd start brainstorming some ideas is all, you know, <laughs> just, just get, get a little, put some feelers out there, get a little bit of an idea. Don't be afraid to slide in some DMs to get a little bit of dirt, you know. Just you know, these are the things that you need to do when you're, when you're talking about you're talking about the, the the scheduling here. You know, you gotta uh, you gotta get creative. So uh, you know, it's unfortunately a lot of the good material is gone now with all these indictments being handed out or whatever. You know, it was it was mostly just going to be boring insider stuff about you know shoe contracts and things. Or how we're getting blacklisted by, by the Big Five. Now you have to uh, now you have to get salacious. But, yeah, I don't have any specific uh, ideas for it, though. I'm sorry to disappoint. No, no, no. I mean, I, I think you're just kind of laying the groundwork, which I think that's more important than uh, jumping in any major conclusions. But uh, We'll save all our secrets about Fran Dunphy for some other time. Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's premium content you need to subscribe <laughs> to. You know, Patreon yeah. That's, that's on the super secret Roar Lions Roar board. The one that you know, it's the yeah, as you said, the, the premium MVP people who who pay extra get <laughs> yeah. to go on that. We get yeah. to hear us talk all about Fran Dunphy rumors and and uh, and Penn State blog uh, innuendo and uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, and and our haters really, you know, it's, it's more than anything else, the thing that I love to talk about is haters. Yes, for sure. Uh, so yeah, if that's not the best time to end this podcast, I don't know what is. Uh, any final things that y'all want to say before we uh, hang up? The Big Five is blacklisting us and it's bullshit. <laughs> Dan, Jeez, coming in hot. Dan is I, going I to be the only right. one who didn't cuss on this episode. So no, I think, and I think Chad's right. No, is, for sure. Is, um, is that they are? I mean that that we've sort of heard those rumblings for a little while now that there is there's a, a somewhat significant level of frustration among the coaches of the the Philly schools surrounding the way that Penn State has recruited the Philadelphia area, um, 
you know, so there is there's definitely some legitimacy to that. And that there had always been that goal for Penn State when they were scheduling, even you know, just speaking beyond the the quality of the strength of schedule and dealing with the RPI and everything like that. There'd always been that level of, well, we want to play a game in D.C. and a game in New York and a game in Philadelphia each season. So that you're there and you can be in front of some recruits live. And this, this uh, situation with the Big Five is really uh, taking the wind out of the sails there. Yeah, we, we, Phil Martelli. yeah, we didn't mention that Duquesne bailed out of their home and home, too. They were supposed to play a road game at Duquesne, and uh, they have a new coach, obviously, because Jim Ferry is now on Penn State staff. Um, Keith Dambro, who from came from Akron, he um, Chambers told me that he uh, they canceled. They basically, he basically was like, "We can't play you guys this year. There's just no way. Let's postpone the series um, a year." So that's why the Duquesne game is not on either. And not that Duquesne's a great opponent. Not like they would have really improved the RPI, but at least would have gave him another road game. Yeah. It's a shame. I'm just looking at Ken Palm here, looking at schedules. It's a shame we can't play Bucknell this year. It's a shame that series could not have been renewed because they're pretty good this year. Also, uh, it, it was really hard for them to book uh, their home gym on opening night of college basketball because it's homecoming weekend. So if you want to know why Penn State's the only Big Ten team that's tipping off at 4 o'clock instead of like 7 or wow. 6 like every other normal program, that's because homecoming made things a bit difficult for them to book their own gym. Because they still gotta deal with that BS. So, so bon Jovi you, playing, is that for the Campbell game? game? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Go ahead, Dan. Dan, we got so was, you're, are you saying that's for the Campbell game? Yeah, they didn't like they, that. Was like, like one of their last games that was scheduled because they they had to fight to get the BJT. Ah, well, uh, listen, we're on minute 65 in this podcast. I'm just gonna pull the plug. Uh, we can do four more. We could, uh, but well, if you if you were to if you were to edit it, how much would it go down? Sixty four and a half, probably. <laughs> you we, you would have to cut out at least several of these pauses. We, yeah. we, we were well, you, could, you could pull out the entire thing where I talk about the uh, about not having any ideas for blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> we could just drop that whole thing there. Uh, yeah. Well. Listen, you asked me a question to set up for a joke, and then I just said, no, I don't have any good ideas. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, listen, I'm just going to pull the plug on this one because – Yeah, that's fine. Let's yeah, go. Whatever. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening to this edition of the podcast. Uh, as always, subscribe on the million platforms on which we have this podcast. Leave us a review on uh, iTunes. Let us know how we can get better. Uh, we probably can't. I mean, who doesn't want this good Penn State basketball content? So just give us five stars and – uh, say that you love us all. Uh, follow on Twitter at ROR blog. Like on Facebook and Instagram, Roar Lions Roar. Uh, buy some shirts. Keep reading the site. Keep supporting the site. And follow well, us on VSporto. Uh, yes, uh, we will try and get back onto VSporto because I have to. I really, really miss reading Seat Geek ads. Uh, but that's something, again, that's something we'll have as premium content off of this episode of the podcast. If you want to do a little Q&A about SeatGeek ads. Neither here nor there. Thank you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For Chad Markulix, for Dan Smith, for Eric Gibson, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.